0: When our best fur friends leave our world, many of us are left wanting one last scritch, one last hug, one last walk together. One Last Network is a space for pet guardians to honor their pets in their senior years and to cope with the days leading up to and after their passing. Here's your host, Angela Schneider, founder of One Last Network and Big White Dog Photography in Spokane, Washington.
1: Welcome to One Last Network and the Art of Aging Gracefully. Dennis Wormold loves to find creative ways to educate dog owners on the misconceptions of dog behavior. Based in Melbourne, Australia, Dennis has a PhD in veterinary medicine, focused on canine anxiety. As a vet, he exclusively treats dogs with mental health conditions and come to him with a wide range of behavior issues, such as aggression or separation anxiety. He recently published his first book, titled A Dedication to Difficult Dogs, which gives a fresh perspective on canine mental health, covering common misconceptions of dog behavior, punishment versus training, and ownership versus guardianship of dogs. I reached out to Dennis to talk about the mental health conditions that can become present in our dogs as they age, wanting to learn more about cognitive decline And how we as pet guardians can allow our dogs to age gracefully have a listen so hi dennis welcome to one last network um why don't you start by telling us a little about yourself
0: hi angela yes thanks for having me on um yeah very excited to be here i am a veterinarian that uh does dog behavior and so i really love talking about all things to do with dog behavior including the that in happening in aging dogs as well um, but you know I've done a PhD in dog anxiety and I work with specifically I only do veterinary work with cases that are dogs with severe behavioral challenges that are referred to me by veterinarians or or trainers in my area and um, yeah I've, I've really branched out into the dog behavior education as well so I've done a bit of uh lecturing to veterinary students over the years uh Melbourne University where I'm based and also I've written a book recently as well on dog behavior and a lot of the misunderstandings that happen around dogs because I think sometimes dogs get a bit of a bad rap particularly when they're not behaving the way that maybe society or you know people expect a dog to behave and you know there's often a good reason so yeah I like thinking about that kind of thing and yeah Chatting to people and and spreading the word of from the dog's point of view.
1: <laughs> we we actually have uh, quite a few photographers in our network who have and work with reactive dogs. Uh, tell us about your book and the name of it and and how, what people need to know about anxiety and reactive dogs.
0: Yeah. So that's you know it's one of those things that it's a word that gets thrown around a lot a reactive dog and i think it's it's a very useful word in that it says that you know the dog is reacting to something normally we're thinking okay maybe it's reacting with like barking or or biting or or you know pulling on the lead or something like that um so I guess, you know, I just like to define my things a little bit when they're not well-defined. So that's my little different definition there of reactivity for today. But, um, yeah, a lot of people have problems with that in their dogs because they do find that it's maybe making them a little bit embarrassed in public if their dog's behaving that way. Maybe they find it hard to relax if their dog's very reactive as well. And so, yeah, my book, um, it is designed to help uh owners or people that work with dogs that might be reactive or have other anxiety problems. Um, So the name of the book is actually called A Dedication to Difficult Dogs. And the reason for that is the understanding that from our point of view as people caring for dogs, it is difficult. And that's okay to admit that, that it is difficult to to deal with these dogs that have got behavioural challenges when you compare to another dog that's maybe just really relaxed and happy-go-lucky you know they're much easier but it's a dedication to these difficult dogs because i'm trying to say that they are beautiful lovely animals i'm not trying to say they're easy they're not easy um they're difficult but they are worth it they are so worth it they are worth they are worthy of being alive and being a part of our lives and they can enrich us just as much as any other dog they are just a little bit more difficult but They really need to be understood. And if we don't understand these dogs properly, then they're going to be not enjoying life as much as they should. And we're going to be more frustrated as well. And so the book really goes into getting you to see from the dog's point of view, what's going on in their head when they're being reactive or difficult? And what are a lot of common things that people might do when they're trying to deal with these dogs that that are difficult? What might they do that maybe isn't actually as helpful as we think, even if it seems like the logical thing to do, or maybe it's, you know, an old wives tale or, or what everyone seems to do when you see them dealing with their dog. Maybe some of the things that everyone's doing maybe aren't so helpful and it lets you see from the dog's point of view, huh, okay, that's why that's not a good idea. Maybe, you know, a a common one is just saying no to your dog, you know, just say, no, I'm trying to teach them manners, you know, and I completely get where people come from with that. But, um, you know, understanding why maybe it's not working, if it's not working for you, um, because a lot of people do say, uh, I tell my dog no and they still do it. And so it's actually nice to see why it's happening and then maybe what the alternatives might be.
1: I know there's a lot of Maremma sheepdogs in Australia. I don't know if you're familiar with the breed, but uh, my dog, when I say no to her, she just ignores me.
0: (laughs) They can be quite stubborn, that that breed, but, you know, I think stubborn's a bit of a a mean way of explaining i think it's more that maybe they're just aloof and they're in their own little world and breaking them out of that world is sometimes a bit difficult and i know some people that are a bit like that as well so <laughs> it, it's <laughs> maybe myself included so it's um it's not necessarily to say that it's a bad thing but it is a very very um interesting trait in that breed and you know all the different breeds have got their own little traits in in sort of how they behave and and you know i think that although there's so many differences between the different breeds there's much more common common ground between them than people realize and as a vet that looks at dog behavior i'm really interested in the motivations what's making a dog behave the way they're behaving and what i find is that across all the different breeds yeah they behave differently but it's kind of like that's just how they behave in response to a certain emotion like fear or or anxiety and so a certain breed responds a certain way to fear or anxiety with one type of behavior and a different breed might behave a different way in response to fear or anxiety but they've all got the same motivation and just depending on the breed you get different behaviors so it sort of comes from the one spot but then yeah you see all this interesting branching out of all these different behaviors across the breeds and yeah I love maremmas, although as a vet Um, have you had any problems at the vet with your marema and being handled
1: she gets some pretty serious white coat anxiety
0: yeah 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 very common I think um we often see them come in as little puppy dogs and even at that stage they're often quite timid and worried about new people um Mm -hmm. and it's really important for vets to try to do extra education and behavior i think because those first few visits can make a big difference and trying to make them as positive as happy as possible for those little puppies can really make a difference in terms of yeah that white coat anxiety as you say
1: (laughs) (laughs) so uh now to segue into our topic of discussion for today you can have A perfectly well-adjusted dog a happy bouncing puppy but as that dog ages things can change right
0: yeah absolutely um you know puppies are just they're just little bundles of joy um they make everyone I think that is a well I'm a bit biased here I think everyone that's a good person finds puppies very enjoyable and, and love love them a lot but the thing is like That way, that they're making us feel, we have to make sure that we're making the puppy feel happy as well and that they're enjoying their life. Because if they grow up misunderstood, and my book really goes through this a lot in how they can be misunderstood. If they have enough experiences early in life that really worry them or really scare them a lot, then just think about like, you know, the typical psychologist, what they might ask a person, they'll have you maybe sitting back on the couch and they say, So tell me about your childhood right and they're trying to find some traumatic you know childhood memories that maybe explain your problems today puppies are just children but dog versions right and traumatic puppy experiences they're going to set that dog up for life potentially to have traumatic memories of when they were a puppy a bit like people having traumatic childhood memories does that sort of make sense
1: Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah yeah
0: so the thing is, though, that little puppies, they're often very timid and scared. And so if if they go through an experience that really worries or scares them when they're little, they might just sort of shut down and try and hide and make themselves small because they're not feeling strong and, and confident enough to stick up for themselves because they're just like a little baby. And so sometimes, unfortunately, Dog owners might not realize that their little puppy is actually, although they seem very happy at home, maybe sometimes when they go out and see some of these other dogs or people, sometimes they might actually be having fearful, scary, traumatic experiences. And if the owner doesn't know their dog behavior and can't read the body language that well, it can be easily missed at that age. And then as the dog grows up, they start to get a bit more confident and then they might start to become reactive to those same things that they've had some scary experiences of as a puppy. So it's really important to try to understand the kind of experiences that and look out for negative experiences in your own puppy and try to expose them to the world as much as possible, but do protect them. You know, you you are their their, their mother, their or their father, their guardian, their protector. And it's not all just about having your beautiful puppy go out and see every possible person and every possible dog yeah. they could. It's not that simple, unfortunately. They've got to have good experiences, <laughs> happy, friendly, you know, joyful experiences. That's what we need. Mm.
1: Yeah, for, and for a me- Maremma, with the kind of instincts that they have, uh, socializing them to a lot of new people can be the traumatic
0: experience. Yeah, that's so true. I'd much rather have them just socialize with a few people and have really good experiences than have them socialize with hundreds of people and have a bunch of bad experiences mixed in there. Mm.
1: we've done so much research into cognitive decline in humans Mm. and we talk about it all the time but we don't talk about cognitive dysfunction and decline in our animals do we
0: yeah not enough it's um it's not something that's understood well you know in society if you talk to someone on the street and or if I'm a vet and an owner comes in and I say hey I think your dog might be getting a bit of doggy dementia which is the the way that I sometimes explain it for owners to understand if they if they haven't heard of it before it's a nice easy little segue into this this disease and they're often very surprised they're like really dogs get that too and yeah they absolutely do and I think amongst veterinarians it is universally known to exist like we all know about it but I think vets maybe that aren't as clued into the behavior world maybe do underdiagnose it a little bit and it's missed because I can't remember the exact statistics but once you get old enough in a dog's lifespan once you get over a certain age depending on the breed it becomes common like quite common just like with people once you get humans over you know 90 years old some level of dementia becomes fairly common and so yeah yeah. and so it's absolutely out there and it is something that is yeah not well known by people and it's really really important for helping our aging dogs to understand that it, it can be there and I don't know have you seen the um, there's some standard like questionnaires, like you can even find them online that you can go through and do the questionnaire for your own dog and see if it fits some of the signs of having um, cognitive dysfunction. Have Have you ever seen those, Angela?
1: I have not, but I would be interested to see what that looks like.
0: Yeah, so I think D-I-S-H-A, I think is one name. If you Google that and then dog cognitive decline or doggy dementia, it should come up with some links and or just search for the questionnaires. And there's just a bunch of standard ones. They're not particularly long. They just ask screening questions. So um may I ask how old is your dog at the moment, Angela? She's nine. Nine. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So nine years old in Marema. Um yep that's a large breed dog. And so unfortunately, we are getting into our golden years there. So um, yeah, we can start to see signs at that age. And um, what we often see are things like a dog having an altered sleep routine. So maybe they're not sleeping through the night like they used to, they might get up and wander around the house. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll start panting at the night as well, or during the day at different times, because they're feeling a little bit worried and a little bit more anxious than usual um are real anxious panters i believe so when they get worried they really do pant. not every breed does as much but they definitely do um and so sometimes you'll get all sorts of behaviors that can be difficult like barking um getting lost in the house um losing their toilet training all sorts of things but it is important to remember that if you think your dog might have some kind of issue like cognitive dysfunction like doggy dementia that screening them for other health problems is so important because there's often contributing factors like pain or like um yeah back pain joint pain um there can be other things like dental disease all these different things that can be contributing to them feeling this way um and yeah it's it's really sad to see it happen I actually had a dog that I had to put to sleep early this year that and he had had dementia for a few years before I put him down and it was really tough really tough um he sort of he became untrainable he lost his training and I couldn't teach him anything new. you know the saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks <laughs> <laughs> don't normally agree with it but if they get Um, if they get enough cognitive dysfunction they can't learn anything new like it's it actually does become true in that situation
1: so there's no real set age that cognitive decline sets in
0: uh it depends on the breed so you have you heard of how different breeds have different lifespans sure yeah so you know like maybe the last 25 percent of that lifespan is the is' the ages at which it normally happens so for your large breed dogs anywhere from eight years on for your smaller breed dogs maybe it might be 10 years on or more something like that but yeah there's no real like serious lower limit um but certainly once you get close to the upper limit it becomes common yeah so it's quite rare if they've just become senior dogs but it's very common when they are approaching the end yeah very common
1: how do we as pet guardians distinguish between cognitive dysfunction the the symptoms of cognitive dysfunction and other medical conditions that might be causing similar signs
0: yeah um that's a good question because it's even hard for us vets as well <laughs> so if it's tough <laughs> for us you know it's going to be tough for you too but the thing that is that you're living with your dog every day and we are not and so even though we've got all this knowledge and experience we are not seeing as much of the picture as you are on a day-to-day basis and it counts for a lot and I think sometimes vets forget how much that really does count for you know living with a dog every day um so I think that there's such a thing in in medicine called a diagnosis of exclusion have you ever heard of that before
1: no, that's a new one to me.
0: Yeah, so a diagnosis of exclusion, and there's a few diseases that are, are considered to be called a diagnosis of exclusion. They're diseases where you know that there are a possibility, so you've got a few ideas of what could be causing the problem. Maybe it's cognitive dysfunction, maybe it's bad arthritis, maybe they're going blind, you're not sure. And a diagnosis of, it, of exclusion means that You only can really diagnose it until you've ruled out all the other possible causes you can think of. And then if that's Ah. what's left, you've excluded everything else and you've diagnosed it by exclusion. And that is really the main way that it is diagnosed because there is not a test that can be done that can definitively say this is like there's not a blood test or something for cognitive dysfunction. I believe there are are autopsy methods you can use, but we're obviously not going to go anywhere near that. I don't want to
1: talk
0: about that. We don't (laughs) want to talk about that. Exactly. So, um, yeah, like if the dog's lost their toilet training when they're a bit older, what if they've got a urinary tract infection? And that's why they've lost it, right? If they're they're barking all the time, what if they've just got some pain and they're they're in distress and they're barking because they're upset and, and not feeling well? So there are, yeah, a range of causes and particularly the, the sleeplessness through the night and getting up and pacing. I believe that there's a common overlap there with with pain, even though you see it often, often in these dogs with cognitive dysfunction. And if you also think about like, if you're an old dog or an old person for that matter, and you lose your vision, right? And you've seen your whole life, then all of a sudden you can't see anymore. You can't hear as well. You're losing your, your hearing as well. You can imagine that, the world is just not going to be as rich of an environment as it used to be. And we know that, like, for people, having a rich, you know, environment that keeps your mind simulating, simulated, is really protective against getting dementia in people, you know, keeping your mind active, thinking, going out and doing things, new experiences. And if you're having senses shut off, right, that variety and that richness of your environment is just going, it's dropping down very quickly. And I think that can really speed up the onset of this, of this cognitive um, disf- decline that, that they say. Yeah.
1: Are there any breeds or any risk factors that um, make a dog or a pet more susceptible to cognitive dysfunction?
0: Um, I think so. It's, it's not so much breeds I would say so well yes and no so some breeds live longer than others right uh-huh. the breeds that live the longest I think are more likely you're more likely to see it because they've got more years in that twilight age where they're very senior and because you've got more years that they're alive you're more likely to have that have time to develop um but there's not like a particular breed that we say oh this breed really gets it really badly um And what was the other part of the question? Was that about medical causes?
1: Yeah, any Um, risk factors.
0: That's right. Yeah. So I am not sure of the most recent research, but I'm not aware of any good published research showing risk factors that I can remember off the top of my head. But I would say that it would be more likely in dogs that have got concurrent medical problems so um i guess in a way yeah risk factors could include things like blindness or deafness we certainly do see it more in dogs that are losing their senses and we do see it more in dogs that are in pain and that may be because they can't get out and explore the world as much again that sort of theory i've got about if you're living in a rich environment that's stimulating and exciting you're gonna your mind's gonna stay active and you're gonna Be more resilient to getting cognitive decline so when I see things like the you know the lady with the pram and the old dog in the pram walking it out along the street and you know I just think that dog is getting smells it's getting sights it's so good for its mind it's really good and I think that will be protective that's an example of something that's protective and and geez I get really upset when I hear people talking down about when they see people doing that kind of thing because I just think you know, that's someone that really cares about their dog so much. And yet people are, you know, making fun of this person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I was gonna ask, are there lifestyle lifestyle changes or we can make or enrichment activities that we can add to our dog's life that help delay the onset or progression of cognitive decline?
0: I really believe there are. And I think it is really about keeping your dog active not necessarily physically active but mentally active and that means interacting with them regularly not just sitting there next to them giving them cuddles although they need a healthy dose of that as well um you know (laughs) doing what training that you can um so even if it's just the same old tricks they've always done and it's boring for you do it for them they often still find that really fun and interesting just to to practice their sits and their their shakes and all of that. Um, puzzle toys, you know, lick mats, um, things that get them to lick and chew and and spend time doing that. Um then of course taking them on walks and getting them to sniff on the walks is the most important thing because they're old and they can't do long, you know, sprints and jogs and all of that anymore. They're just going to be wanting to go around the block and I mean, does what does your dog think about going around the block? Does 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 it think that maybe the sniffs are uh, a pretty important part of that?
1: Oh, huge! I'm a big believer in letting Bella just yeah.
0: dog. Sure. That's my call. Yeah.
1: I, le- I, I just let her dog.
0: <laughs> just let her dog. Yeah, and you know they'll tell you what they want to do. So if on the walk, if they're spending all the time sniffing, they're saying, "I want to sniff." They don't want to walk. They want to sniff. And so as they get older, then. One thing I have noticed, you know, having your own dog with the disease teaches you so much more about that disease as a vet than you could ever learn in a textbook. And my own dog having had cognitive dysfunction in his older years, I noticed some interesting things, which I've never read about, but I'm sure would be a common experience. I noticed that when he was sniffing things, he sniffed them for twice as long as he used to as he got older. Oh. So my dog would sniff them for half the time as he would. And I don't know if that's because his sense of smell was getting worse. I don't know if it's because his memory was deteriorating and he was sniffing it and then he'd forget what he'd sniffed in the smell and he'd have to go back and re-sniff that bit. So I don't know what was going on, but it was just something that he loved to do. And so we made sure we went on our walk at least once a day around the block. And it it took about half an hour. And since he's passed away, we now do that same walk in about 15 minutes with my current dog. But um yeah, multiple short walks is the way to go rather than a single long walk. So if you can, splitting up your walks into small walks and taking different routes so that they can get the different smells rather than going the same route every day. It um, doesn't have to be different route every day forever, but if you just swap it up so maybe if there's three different routes that you could go just alternate each day each route because the smells are going to change each day and you'll notice that if you walk the same route every day that your dog gets sick of the same smells and it will stop smelling them and the walk will go faster because there's not as many new smells there whereas if you mm-hmm. take a different route each day it's going to go slower because they're going to be stopping and sniffing more because things have changed you know animals have gone by other animals have peed there you know birds have pooped like people have dropped stuff like who knows what they're smelling but um, yeah it's it's a really amazing thing to think about the world of smell and I think how important it is and yeah there's some lovely descriptions in my book actually of, of dogs and, and how they navigate that world it's um really really fun to think about um but yeah so lots of little walks is really useful what is there anything that you've heard or that you do for um for reducing the risk of getting your dog having dog doggy dementia
1: no actually um this is really the talking to you about it is really the first time learning about it um when i saw your when i saw you pop up um i was i i thought oh i i never even thought about it so if i haven't thought about it that means there's a whole legion of people out there who need to know about this
0: absolutely true that is so true um i think that with old dogs, um, it's important to experiment as well and not just assume that the way that you've always done things with them, the normal routine is still going to work for them. So Mm -hmm. sometimes people have their own routines and people like having their own routines and they're stuck in it. But then if the health of the dog changes and you try to still keep them in that same routine, it can be a struggle for some dogs. Have you ever seen people walking along with an old dog hobbling behind them and they're sort of dragging along trying to speed them up? I've seen that Uh before. Isn't it sad? You know, Mm -hmm. you you have to change with your dog as they change. And so like my dog, Oscar, he became very deaf. He didn't lose all of his hearing, but most of it. And he lost some of his vision too. And so what would happen is because he had a quite bad memory as well in the end is that because he'd, he'd grown up with separation anxiety, he was a rescue and he had all sorts of issues when I got him. He had had pretty bad separation anxiety. So we had the saddest thing where he'd we'd be home with him in the house and we'd walk out of the room into another room. And I, I'm pretty sure he forgot if we were home or not. He was too sore to get up and walk around and he couldn't hear us. So he felt alone, like he felt lonely. And we were in the house with him just in the other room. And then he'd just start barking he'd just start barking like again and again and again. And he'd go on for half an hour if we let him. So Mm. that was a serious case of of cognitive dysfunction, a very serious case. And so the way that we dealt with that is we had to change our routine. If we were going to be in a room for a long time, we had to make sure there was a bed there and we'd move him him on his bed, often just drag the bed because he found it so hard to get up, move him into the room we were in so he could see us and then he'd be calm because then he knew that he was with us and he didn't freak out thinking where am I like what's going on and so lots of little adjustments like that um being my wife and I both being vets obviously his health was very well cared for um and we had him on a whole range of medications at the end it was like you know like maybe he was on like seven different tablets or something like that and injections and all sorts of things just to keep him going and as I'm sure you've heard and maybe talked to other guests about, you know, making that decision at the end is so difficult, even for vets, even for vets, I'll tell you, it is so hard. And um, yeah, I think that we had kept him going a lot longer than most people could have, just because we were both vets and we could cater for so many needs of his. And so we got to see a very advanced stage of cognitive dysfunction. Mm. But I think a lot of people wouldn't actually get to see because their dogs don't live quite as long. I think even though I'm not only, you know, I think a lot of people owning Oscar, he may have lived two one or two years less with them. And that's enough time to get a lot of deterioration in the mind at the end. And it's tough because it's just another quality of life thing that you've got to weigh up with everything else as to whether or not it's time to, you know, say goodbye. But
1: yeah, I think you've made yeah. a, a series of really good points there. Um number one is that we have to change as our dogs change um it's not fair for us to keep expecting that our dogs are four five and six years old we do have to recognize that they are older and they need a different kind of lifestyle from us
0: overall health is just so important like I said you know they are risk factors and how we were really looking after his health really really well um as much as we could to our best ability that's all Mm. anyone can ask um and it's just such a big factor in cognitive dysfunction and, and aging in dogs you know really making sure that you're going for your vet checks and you're asking your vet is there any type of discomfort you can see there are there any supplements I can give you know does he need any work done to help him be more comfortable her be more comfortable and just making sure that you're just on top of everything as much as possible and as vets, we see the owners come in that do have this approach with their older dog and do do it. And we see such a difference in these dogs and their quality of life and their mental health as well as they get older. Because I think it takes a real toll on them if yeah, if they're not... Like, it's hard caring for an older dog. It is tough. I'm not saying it's easy mm-hmm. and that that people should feel bad if they don't think they're doing a good job. Don't feel bad. It's tough. Just do your best. Um that's my my takeaway from what I said as well.
1: Mm. Yeah. Are there any treatment options?
0: Mm. Um, so prevention is the best treatment, but absolutely it's going to happen no matter what you do. So prevention, like we talked about, you know, keeping their life enriched and keeping them really healthy. But there are some treatment options, and the best one really is supplementation with um there are specific supplements that you can give that help with the brain health so there are uh, fish oils and brain supplements so for example in some dog senior dog breeds like the high quality ones they have this infused already in it so like omega-3 omega-6 fatty acids and um, DHA I believe is the other um, medium chain triglyceride I think it is that they put in there as well and they all help with brain health and they're essentially used in the in the building blocks of neuronal growth of the neurons in the brain and help to promote healthy function of the brain. And that certainly does help in older dogs, help them to have a more brighter mind and and feel healthier. It helps their coat as well. So you got extra added benefit there. Um, So that's a really good one. Other than that, it's really just symptomatic treatment. So like i said before with oscar oscar was always an anxious dog but other dogs that get cognitive dysfunction you know often it's happening at the same time as maybe they're going blind or they're going deaf or they're in a lot of pain and having that physical illness and then not being able to live life the way you used to it can cause stress and anxiety in a lot of dogs and if that's something that we can't manage with by treating the normal health of the dog if we can't get rid of that stress or anxiety and then they're showing signs of anxiety maybe because they've lost their memory or something or they're they're just not thinking as clearly and they can become very anxious as a symptom of cognitive Mm -hmm. dysfunction. And when that does happen, then absolutely there are medications to help with anxiety that you can use in dogs of any age that can be used in dogs with cognitive dysfunction to help relieve that anxiety that they're having. Um, And I guess back to health as well, there is another one that medications that's used, particularly if there's maybe some cardiovascular, like heart-related health issue that's occurring alongside the cognitive dysfunction. And in that case, there's specific medications that help with blood flow to the brain that can be useful as well for those dogs. Um, but yeah, it's really all sort of supportive care and just managing the symptoms and, and just trying to keep them as, as comfortable as possible. Um, Yeah, it's tough.
1: What what changes can we make in our homes to ensure our older dogs who are possibly in cognitive decline are more comfortable?
0: I think, Angela, that really they're changes that anyone with older dogs should be doing anyway Mm -hmm. because they're preventative as well as, as, as treatment options. So everything that you do with a dog that's in cognitive decline, it's going to be based on the dog and the dog's needs. And so seeing things from the dog's point of view. So often it's related to arthritis and mobility. Often the changes that are the most useful, things like ramps to get upstairs if they need them or into the car or onto the couch or the bed, depending where your dog goes. (laughs) Um check, things, check, and check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, things like if you've got slippery floors and your dog slips or struggles to get up off that floor, then making sure there's lots of sort of safety spot mat areas, like little mats or spots that they can lay on so that when they get back up, they can get up properly and that they don't fall over. Maybe they need more supportive. Bedding, bedding for their for their arthritic bones. Maybe a flat mat's not good enough for them anymore as they used to have when they were younger. Maybe they need a thicker, more supportive mat. Um things like yeah just adjusting to the dog's needs and and what what needs they have. Um it's not really a one size fits all approach but definitely enrichment is important too. So around the home giving them you know good access to um puzzle toys and enriching things that they can do with their mind to help keep their brain active, even just things to chew on. Um, and that you know brings you back to dental health again. Some dogs, if their teeth are sore because they've got dental disease and they're older, and then because of that they don't chew the chewy toys anymore because their teeth haven't been fixed, then they're not getting that enriching, you know, enjoyable behavior of being able to chew on things anymore. So that can be, again, a reason why they go into cognitive decline because they can't do as many things as they used to do, right? So, again, it comes back to the health and fixing the teeth so that the dog can perform the behavior. Yeah. Mm. All comes we back. had we had TPLO
1: surgery earlier this year in January,
0: and I mm, had yep. picked
1: up a, a licky mat to yep. entertain her and keep her busy, yep. like keep her not focused on wanting to move but it was only after the fact that I got that licky mat that I learned just the other benefits that come with allowing her to have that thing
0: yeah absolutely I think it's really good I think we can all get inventive and think more outside the box in terms of what we could do as extra things for our dogs to make their lives more enjoyable you know, licking is a behavior that for a dog is very cathartic and enjoyable. Um, we do know that saliva even has endorphins in it, which is like the body's natural opiates. And that exercise of licking is a calming behavior for dogs. And so giving them an outlet that encourages them to lick for a prolonged period can tie them out in, in an enjoyable way for them. And so great option if they've had a TPLO and they can't run. Uh great mm. option to give them things like that. Absolutely. And I'm sure you've heard about other things like snuffle mats and you know kongs and all of that. So anything that can encourage licking and chewing behavior just great, really really good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What kind of research is ongoing into canine cognitive dysfunction?
0: Hmm, good question. Um I would have to say I'm not up to date with the most recent research on that, but I think that there's not a huge amount. Um, it has been thought of as potentially being a partial model for human Alzheimer's disease, um, the the dog canine dysfunction. Um, but I think so. I think because of that, there's probably more work on dogs with cognitive dysfunction in the human research field than there is in the dog oh. for the dogs for the dog's benefit rather than the people's yeah. sadly yeah. um so but the good thing is you we do know a lot about canine cognitive dysfunction from the research that has been done for the benefit of humans so we have learned a lot of it from that and from what it seems it's not the same mechanism as in people but it's related and similar so there's a lot of just common sense that we can pick up from the way we deal with it in humans that we can then transfer across to dogs and I think one big takeaway is that it's a very hard problem to solve in people and I think it's going to be a very hard problem to solve in dogs as well there's not going to be just an easy pill or solution or anything like that it's it's Going to be, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've been saying for dogs, it's there's human equivalents of the same advice, I believe. I'm not a doctor, a human doctor, but I believe there's a lot of human equivalent of the same advice. So I don't think there's going to be some big miracle study that, that fixes it anytime soon, but we can always hope. And yeah, I don't think there's a lot of research going into it at the moment. A lot of the research that goes in that I do know of at the moment is more from the supplement point of view because. I mean, I hate to be sceptical, but companies can make money off supplements. And if a supplement helps, then, you know, they're going to try and research and find that and show that it works. So that's where a lot of it goes into not so much going into understanding the root causes and really what can be done practically. Yeah. I
1: I think you mentioned there that we should all go out and get our own
0: mats. (laughs) People for us. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's not what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's hilarious. But you know what? Maybe it would help. I don't know. I don't know. Um, speak to your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it,
1: it's kind of amazing, though, that if our cognition and even our digestive systems are so very similar to dogs, it, it it's no wonder that we're so tied to them. Is it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that bond is so beautiful between the owner and, and the dog. And I think by and large, 99.9% of people that own dogs love them to bits and mean well. They really do. Um, the sad thing for me, and the reason I, you know, am out here trying to educate people is that I often see a disconnect and a misunderstanding from what the dog's seeing from the dog's point of view and what we are seeing as owners from our point of view and it causes problems for the dogs it it does it reduces their happiness their welfare their enjoyment of life and it also causes problems for us because we're not as empathetic and as understanding of our pets if we don't get why they're being difficult if we understand why and we understand they're doing it because they're we truly feel their distress and, and sadness or anxiety causing it it means that rather than being frustrated and annoyed and snapping at your dog that's just so irritating you can sort of think oh almost like oh it's like a baby crying it might you know be ear splitting but you're like oh the poor baby what's wrong you know can we help it yeah we don't like the noise of the baby crying it's, it's not enjoyable but what can we do for the poor little thing let's try and help it out and rather than just thinking oh no stop crying you know like that snappy sort of reaction that we have to our dogs or some people do and i mean i'm not trying to say these people are bad it's it's understanding it, it's stressful hearing an ear splitting bark like i get it and i have on occasion felt the urge as well just to snap at my dog and I, I i never have i but i'm rare i know a lot of behavior professionals that understand what i understand and they have snapped and i get it. i don't blame them like you're only human and if you're really frustrated it just happens sometimes and that's okay but as long as you understand you know and try not to do that and understand why your dog's really behaving this way it makes you feel better because you can actually feel some empathy there which helps be very protective against that frustration and breaking down of that bond between you and and your dog and so yeah absolutely I can't recommend my book enough I think if everyone in society had read it, that dogs around the world would just, their happiness would just go through the roof, like, because it's so easily understandable, because it's from the dog's point of view. Like, you can see how they're thinking, and it's so easily, easy to read. I hate books personally where I have to concentrate and reread lines and, like, you know, really think to, to, to get through it. Whereas this one, it's just, like, I think anyone, even from the age of 14 on, could comfortably read it, but it is for adults because they're normally the dog owners but teenage dog owners absolutely as well um so yeah I just I think that yeah tying it back to your point of you know that that bond between the owner and the dog I think that it is so beautiful but we need to not be complacent and just say oh it's beautiful it doesn't need changing I think it's beautiful but we're not got to make sure we're giving back to our dogs what they're giving to us you know they're giving us all this enjoyment and happiness in life We've got to make sure we're not accidentally thinking that we're doing the right thing for our dog, but actually not doing everything the, the way as well as we could. Yeah,
1: Is your book on Amazon and Kindle?
0: Uh, it is on Amazon. It is not on Kindle. Uh, it will be released by audiobook late next year, but at the moment it's just paperback. Um, and so, yeah, if you just search for Dennis Wormold or A Dedication to Difficult Dogs, on Amazon or, or Google, even it will come up. And yeah, absolutely. I think um, it's been getting really uh really good feedback and really good reviews. Um, the hardest thing for some people is where it's kind of like their eyes are opened up as to the way like it really is and how dogs really think. Like they they find that they've learned so much that they actually feel a bit some people feel a bit bad about. Maybe the way they've treated their dogs in the past. And that doesn't make me feel good. Like, I don't want to do that. But at the same time, if I think about the first dog I had, I feel bad about how I treated him. I didn't know any better. And, you know, I don't think wanting to feel, protect yourself from feeling bad is an excuse for not improving yourself and doing the right thing in the future. You know, I think everyone can agree on that. So I just guess there's some hard to swallow pills, some hard truths there about what society does to our dogs and maybe that we need to adjust our expectations around how a dog should be a little bit for their benefit. Yeah.
1: I've long known that I was not the best mama I could have been to my first Maremma, but I, I do believe that he taught me how to be a better mama for Bella.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think as long as our hearts are in the right place and we can only do what we can do. We're only human. We're not magicians. And yeah, I think that people shouldn't be hard on themselves if they read this book or if they haven't read this book and they feel like they've maybe not been the perfect dog owner in the past, but I don't think that's an excuse to not educate yourself now and learn how to become a better owner in the future. Yeah.
1: Where else do people find you?
0: Uh, On Twitter at Dennis Wommels. Uh, I like to post on different dog-related videos and topics and give a dog's point of view and maybe debunk a few myths on some of those cute videos that maybe the dog's a little bit misunderstood and just try to gently nudge people in the right direction of, of understanding their dogs better. Yeah. And yeah, that's... It I guess if, if if you're a veterinarian that I do have a, a software startup as well, which is running in Australia, but it's just expanded to the states as well now. And that provides vets with an option to give dog owners good quality dog behavior advice for cases where their their dog behaviour cases are not able to be referred to a dog behavior specialist vet um just it's a automated software based on my phd that gives good quality behavior advice for anxious dogs that's much better than your google or anything like that it's customized to the specific dog um but it's not a replacement for a, a specialist referral but not everyone can afford that and not everyone gets that they're not always available so it's about spectrum of care and providing an option for every owner that walks in the door rather than just the owners that Can get to your gold standard treatment not everyone can do that Mm. very
1: cool we will have all the links in the show notes um what is one last piece of advice you can give pet guardians about cognitive dysfunction or anything
0: um geez one piece of advice i think i'll just re-say what i said before you know behavior you know is so often tied to physical health in animals so many cases that I've seen of aggression and anxiety in dogs there's been some sort of underlying physical health ailment that's contributed to it at least in part Mm -hmm. and it's just so important to keep your vet in the loop and try to make sure that all the physical stuff is treated because there's so many cases of dogs with cognitive dysfunction that I've seen as a vet that have needed and maybe haven't received the perfect health care and if they had it would have helped their, that dog a lot with their cognitive dysfunction and with their quality of life so I'll just bring it back to the health of the dog and just I know it's tough maybe make sure you got insurance for your pet I know it can be expensive maybe put a bit of money aside for their health when in their younger years when when they don't cost too much a bit of money aside for them so that you know when they get a bit older that you can afford to give them some really good quality care it'll make a big difference yeah
1: amazing thank you so much for joining us today dennis
0: you are welcome it's been a pleasure thank you for having me
1: we all want our dogs to live long healthy lives mental health conditions and cognitive dysfunction can start to set in as they age but we can take steps now to prevent or mitigate the effects of age on our dog's brains. Early detection matters, and if you notice any unusual behavior changes in your aging dog, please make sure you talk with your veterinarian for a proper assessment. Dennis offers some really great advice on how we can manage not just our dog's mental health, but their overall health as well as they enter their senior years. And I'm excited to sit down with a cup of coffee and read through his book, which is a series of real world encounters he has had with canine patients and their guardians. He stresses patience and understanding for our dogs as they step into their twilight years. And while those aren't easy qualities for some people, myself included on some days, I try harder for Bella because she can't tell me with words what's on her mind or how she's feeling. And our dog's aging can bring a valuable lesson to slow down and enjoy the time we have left together. Next week, I chat with Margot Folks, author of Leading Through Loss, How to Navigate Grief at Work. Margot coaches business leaders on how to create a more compassionate workplace culture by acknowledging and speaking openly about grief and loss in the workplace. She was super interested in chatting about the grief we experience after losing our pets and how workplaces must adjust to a world in which pets are considered family. Until then... I'm Angela Schneider, owner of Big White Dog Photography in Spokane, Washington, and your host at One Last Network, signing off to go get some Bella snuggles. Listen to One Last Network on whichever podcast platform you prefer. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Music, and Amazon Music. Don't forget to hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have a friend who might be interested in our content, make sure you share us with them. Thanks for listening.